Before we get into talk tonight, I wanted, you, uh, I wanted to talk to you about our in-person plans for the future. Uh, as many of you know, back in November, we again moved away from in-person gatherings on Tuesday nights to these live streams. And then we've pushed back our dates for going back to in-person a few times. Uh, the latest being that we would continue live stream only, uh, would continue through, through February. So it's almost the end of February. Well, it's not almost, the, it's almost halfway through February, geez. Uh, so I wanted to give you an update on, <laughs> time, time just flies by and uh, I feel like it's already May. I wanted to give you an update on where we're at and what we're thinking. Um, <laughs> the plan for now is to keep this live stream going. In fact, I think we're gonna probably keep doing this forever. But for those of you who wanna be back in the room together, back in person on Tuesdays, we do plan to um, also, in addition to this live stream, slowly start reintroducing people into the room starting in Lent, which starts a week from tomorrow. But we can't start getting you back in the room that fast next week. And honestly, <laughs> the holdup comes down to me and my family. Uh, we're about to have another baby. Literally, Michaela could go into labor any second at this point. Uh, our due date is like 10 days or something, but it's the second baby. So a, a lot of times they come early. And so um, <laughs> we just don't know. I'm half expecting my phone to ring tonight. And if that's the case, I'm leaving. <laughs> um, uh, there's a lot that goes into uh, transitioning back to in-person and I don't want that responsibility to fall solely on the shoulders of our part-time and volunteer staff while I'm out on paternity leave for a few weeks. So we're going to wait until March when I'm back from paternity leave to start slowly introducing people into the room again. Um, I'm looking forward to having you back. Um, but we want to do that in, in, in the safest and smartest way possible. My family and I really appreciate your understanding and grace and patience with that decision. If you have any questions about that or you wanna talk about it more or you wanna tell me why I'm the worst, let's talk about it. Uh, if you don't already have my number, number uh, email me, phil at tnl.org. If you do have my number, text me or call me, let's talk about it. All right, moving on. If you missed it at the beginning of the night, the question I'd love for you to respond to is this. Uh, we're called to love our fellow brothers and sisters who follow Christ. What does loving other Christians who oppose or disagree with you, especially politically, mean or look like to you? Um, you can continue thinking about that and, and putting responses up in the chat. We're gonna talk about what everything that you guys have said a little later on. Uh, so we're concluding tonight our journey through this quirky, unique, and beautiful book of 1 John. This text is like no other in the New Testament. It can be challenging because sometimes it seems like the author writes their sentences backwards or inverted, almost, almost like they're talking like Yoda, but to an even greater degree. If you've been reading through 1 John, at times it can sound like gibberish that just repeats itself, especially at first glance. But if you sit with this text and think about what it's actually saying, I think there are just tons of really beautiful wisdom captured in these words. That wisdom comes through pretty clearly in the passage that we're gonna to read tonight. Uh, this is the very beginning of chapter five and it's where the author starts to close down this paper or bulletin that is this book of 1 John uh, by summing up and, and recapturing basically what they've been trying to drive home for the previous four chapters. Uh, so let's read this. This is 1 John chapter five, verses one through five. 
Every person that believes that Jesus is in fact the Messiah is God born. If we love the one who conceives the child, we'll surely love the child who was conceived. The reality test on whether or not we love God's children is this. Do we love God? Do we keep his commands? The proof that we love God comes when we keep his commandments and they are not at all troublesome. Every God born person conquers the world's ways. The conquering power that brings the world to its knees is our faith. The person who wins out over the world's ways is simply the one who believes Jesus is the son of God. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. All right, what on earth is happening here? I, I just kind of want to walk through these five verses with you tonight um, and, and talk about what is, what's happening. The author begins this section by writing, every person who believes that Jesus is in fact the Messiah is God born. If we love the one who conceives the child, we'll surely love the child who was conceived. What he's saying is everyone who believes in Jesus as the Messiah, everyone who believes in Christ is born of God. They are adopted into God's family. God becomes our parent. And if, if those children love their parent, they'll naturally love every other child of that parent. They'll love their siblings, including first and foremost, Christ. So all of God's children will love the rest of God's children. I said last week that the author repeats themselves a lot. Um, I heard Jared mention in a talk to the Sacred Grace Inglewood this past Sunday uh, that 1 John is like a song that has a chorus that repeats. Uh, later, I read someone else write that 1 John is like a symphony with a theme that's developed and disappears for a while only to return in, slightly more, in a slightly more intricate and, and nuanced way. I think both of these are great metaphors for what's going on in this book. Um, and we're going to see that in just a second again. The author continues, the reality test on whether or not we love God's children is this. Do we love God? Do we keep his commands? And that probably sounds really familiar to you. We here again come to the main recurring theme, one of the main recurring themes of 1 John, the connection between loving God, loving others, and keeping God's commands. But this time, the theme takes a bit of a different shape. It's a little more intricate. In the past, we've read the way that we know we love God is seen in how we love others. Here, we read that the way that we know we love others is through how we love God. <laughs> This double loyalty uh, to God and God's children is key. We know we love God because we love others, but we know we love others because we love God. We often think and have talked about already how if we really love God, then that will be seen in the ways that we love others. But the author flips it around. Um, they flip it around this time and we see the truth in, in, an, in another way. We know we love others by the ways we love God. That's probably something to sit with for a while. I know many of us have felt guilty that we don't love others enough. And, and what that says about whether we really love God as much as we think we do. But have you ever thought about it the other way, like the author is here? Look at all the ways that you love God. That proves at the very least an immense capacity to love others. You may not be fully leaning into your capacity, but don't be fooled. The ways you show your love for God say something about your love for others. We know we love others by the ways we love God. 
the author continues on writing uh, that the way that, the way that we know we love others is through the ways that we love God. And the ways that we know and how we know we love God <laughs> is whether we keep his commands, which the author writes are not at all troublesome. That word translated troublesome in our translation means something like burdensome. And it's the same word that Jesus uses to describe uh, the commands that the Jewish religious leaders were heaping on others, loading them down with heavy burdens to bear. This is the exact opposite of what Jesus invites us to. Seen most clearly in Matthew 11, where he says, come to me, all you who are weary and burdened, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me, for I am gentle and humble in heart, and you will find rest for your souls. For my yoke is easy and my burden is light. So this writer is saying to all of us who believe in Christ, um, all of us who believe in Christ are children of God. And if we love God, then obviously we love God's children. But the way that we can be sure if we love God's children or not is whether we love God. It's this circular relationship that just keeps flowing in and out of each other. And the way that we know we love God is whether we keep Jesus's commands or not. Commands that Jesus describes as a yoke that is easy and light. What is Jesus's yoke? What is this burden that's light? What are his commands? We're gonna get into that in our series during Lent, um, starting in a couple weeks. We're gonna look at some of Jesus's commands in the gospel of John. But in essence, as we read in 1 John recently, 1 John 3, Jesus's commands consist in the call to love, not in word or speech, but in truth and action. As we talked about a few weeks ago, love in action. Here's another consistent refrain of this book. True faith, walking in the light is intrinsically entwined with love put in action. The author continues writing that everyone, um, everyone who is God born can conquer or overcome the ways of the world. All who believe in Christ will overcome the ways of the world. And we've come full circle now in just these five little verses in this beautiful section of scripture. But what the author is saying in these last two verses, uh, verses four and five, is that those who walk in the light, those who are born of God, those who truly love God, conquer or overcome the ways of the world by choosing love. In short, the author writes, love wins. Every person who is born of God, every person who believes that Jesus is the son of God, every child of God can conquer or overcome the ways of the world by choosing love. The world conquers through military might, through coercion, through shaming, through forcing ideological purity. Christ and all who choose to follow him conquer through love. We have to remember that the people that this author is writing to see the conquering ways of the world all around them every day. They see the military might of the Roman empire. Uh, they see the heavy burden of shame and strict purity enforced by factions of the Jewish faith. And if you remember all the way back to the second week of the series, there's now these proto Gnostics that are rupturing the church through their misguided self-righteousness and superiority. And in the midst of all of that, the author of this book, this pastor is urging their congregation away from the ways of the world, away from forcing our own way away from coercion, back to unity, 
back to love, back to Christ. I think as confusing as this passage can be and seem, I think it's an important word for you and I right now. There's a lot of temptation these days to to succumb to adopting moral superiority and using force, using coercion, trying to strong arm or shame others into seeing the world the same way that we do. We see this intensifying politically for sure. Uh, It often feels like we as Christians increasingly are being asked to choose between Christian nationalism and progressive ideological purity. There's no middle ground. You have to make a choice. Are you a coercive extremist or a coercive extremist? The answer for Christians to that question is found in this text, which is neither. Our choice isn't between two different expressions of the same fallen world, but to choose a different way completely. This passage of 1 John is a reminder that we as Christians are called to different tactics, different strategies, different ways of going about overcoming hardships and disagreements and conflicts and those who oppose us. Judith Jones, a pastor from Oregon writes this, Christians believe in the son of God who, rather than shedding the blood of others to prove that he was the Messiah, allowed his own blood to be shed. God's children triumph not by inflicting suffering on others or by avoiding pain at all costs, but by allowing God to work within and through them, even in their suffering. I loved that. I loved that quote. And if you take nothing else from tonight, I hope that you took that quote. We are called to love God, to love God's children and to keep God's commands. In short, we're called to abandon violence and force and coercion and instead choose love. Now, you might hear that and think, does that mean that we don't stand up for what we believe in? Absolutely not. As Judith said, it doesn't mean that we avoid pain at all costs, which is what not standing up for anything would be. Instead, this means we refuse to stand up for what we believe in ways that use violence and coercion and shame and inflicting pain. It means we choose to love, even if it means that we'll suffer as a result and that we continue to love through our suffering. We overcome the ways of the world by modeling our lives after that of Christ, who overcame the world, not through violence, but through love. It may cost us everything, but in the end, love wins. In the meantime, we keep practicing loving God's children, our sisters and brothers around us, especially those that are difficult for us to love. Because the way that the world will recognize us the way that the world will be drawn to Jesus, the way that the world will be overcome is through how we're seen loving one another. As first John has tried to make it abundantly clear, loving each other is really, really, really important. So what do you make of this? What does loving other Christians who oppose or disagree with you, especially politically mean or look like to you? Let's see what some of you said here. Oh, wow. Thank you, everyone. There's a lot of responses here. Uh, Jenna Paulson talked about uh, the first thing being trying to listen. Uh, Matt said, uh, usually, Matt, 
thank you. This was really honest. Usually he just kind of avoids <laughs> the conversation since it's usually with family and gets far too charged too fast. I don't think anyone can relate with you there. <laughs> uh, Sarah Reinhardt said that she has to remember that Jesus loves all people and to constantly remind myself to be respectful of their opinions. Sarah, is there a way that you help yourself remember that? Like when you're in the moment and someone's, or you know you're about to talk to someone that you know you disagree with, how do you keep in mind? Um, how do you keep that in mind that Jesus loves them? Sherry talked about listening, but also about asking questions uh, to help understand and not challenge. I think that's uh, important. Uh, I wrote that I think listening is a lost art and a beautiful way to love people. And I think one of the best gifts that I can give someone, even someone that is really, really mad at me for what I think, or at least what they think I think, one of the best gifts I can give to them is to actually listen and hear what they're saying and to try to point out common ground that we have. Uh, Amanda Canberra talked about digging deeper, also listening, but digging deeper to try to understand the issue behind the issue. And there often is, it's almost never about what we're arguing about, right? Um, Trev says, listen, listen, listen. But Trevor never listens to me. <laughs> Trevor, we might have a conflict after this. Um, from Sarah Usinger, she said, meeting people where they're at by active listening. I think it's important to not have a response waiting in my head if I disagree, just to hold space for others to just be. Gosh, isn't that so important? When you're listening to someone and, and you disagree with what they're saying and you know that they disagree with what you're thinking, it is so hard to not have that, that your response in the back of your mind or at the front of your mind, you're ready to go as soon as they stop talking and you stop listening to what they're actually saying and are just waiting for them to shut their mouth so that you can respond. I fall into that trap more than I would like to admit. Sarah, what helps you get that response of yours out of your mind and stay listening to what they're saying? I would love to hear. Um, I read through these after the, the service ends. So if you write a response to anything I say here, I will see it. And these responses are up anytime someone replays this. So um, I would love to see what you think about that. Brandy said at a base level, I try not to demonize those on the other side because every human reflects God and is loved by him. I think our culture has, um, I think I wrote this, uh, gotten to the point where we conflate disagreement and conflict with hate. And I know I'm really susceptible to this. I think if someone disagrees with me, then they hate me. And that's almost never the case, especially if they know me. <laughs> and that's not because, <laughs> <laughs> that sounds like no one who knows me hates me. Like, I'm really cool. Um, it's because you can disagree with someone vehemently on really important things and still love each other at the end of the day. One of my best friends who's been my best friend for over 20 years, we disagree on more and more and more the older we get. And we still love each other. I can say anything to them and we're okay at the end of the day because we love each other enough that uh, disagreements aren't going to touch that. 
we're free to actually listen to each other because we know that the relationship isn't at stake. And I wish uh, that was something that we had on a broader level as a culture, an understanding that we can wrestle with things together from opposite perspectives and that the relationship isn't at stake. Jared said, remembering what is core to historic Christianity, the Apostles' Creed, people who love and follow Jesus have disagreed on issues throughout history. We're not the first to live in the tension. Yeah, that's right. Things like the creeds were the result of hundreds of years of disagreement. And yet people came together to put together some of the most beautiful, uh, beautifully captured theology in just a couple paragraphs. Andre said, listening is a must to reflect, understand and continue in unity is the hardest part because politics gets in the way. Leave politics out, then love and unity is much easier to achieve. That's true. I 100% agree with that. And increasingly, that's really hard to do, leaving politics out. Andre, how are you able to, are you able to consistently leave politics out? And if so, is that something that is intentional to like, is that conscious? Like, could you, how do you do that? <laughs> do you have any strategies or tactics for how to do that without people feeling like you're just dismissing them? I think, I also think another thing that we, we don't talk about enough and that I think is really underrated is prayer. Um, Honestly, I increasingly am trying to pray for the people that I disagree with or who disagree with me, especially if we're going into um, having a conversation together, just to soften my heart towards them, um, to help me remember that they don't hate me, uh, to help me remember, to ask God to help me remember that they are deeply loved by him and that I am deeply loved by him and that our worth is not on the line in this conversation. I tried to pray to ask um, that I would hear something uh, that I didn't know, that I would learn something from this conversation. But it's taken me a long time to embrace prayer because I, I, I don't know. I'm still trying to figure out why, but I would encourage all of us as we're, as we're engaging with these things more and more to not leave prayer on the back burner, especially for the people that we disagree with. So no one is saying any of these things are easy. They're not, which is why I asked most of you, like, how do you do that? These things take practice, but our faith makes them possible. The faith that the author of 1 John exhorts to his readers the faith that the author points you and I towards today, uh, the faith that overcomes the ways of the world is this. Even in darkness and brokenness and death, God's love brings life. The victory that we're called to is allowing this love from God to flow through us to God's children around us, not just in word or speech, but in truth and action. And when we do that, we overcome the world because love wins. Let's pray. God, I'm thankful for um, books like 1 John that really stretch my understanding and my imagination. 
in way, sometimes through things that at first glance, I just disregard as being just nonsensical. But God, I'm thankful for uh, venues like this where we can slow down and really think about what's being said in your word. God, I pray that all of us would take to heart this intricate bond between (laughs) obeying what you say and loving you and loving others, of receiving your love and letting that flow through us to those around us. God, I pray, as I prayed last week, that we would each be I don't know, giving, given a fresh view of what it looks like to practice loving others because you love us. And God, I pray that we would really take seriously the idea that the ways that the world comes to see you and know you is, by, is through how we love one another. And that we would love one another because you first loved us. We love you, God. Amen.